this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to another Unapologetically Bold I'm Not Sorry For. And if you only knew how excited I am to have my now good friend, Andy, on. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andy. Absolutely. This is beyond a pleasure and a privilege uh, to be able to speak with you and particularly considering the guests that you've had on the show. I'm, I'm very humbled. Well, thank you so much. Andy, the more I get to know you, the more like we absolutely nerd out on things. And we may not go that nerdy today, but I love your heart and how much you care for learning about how people are designed. And that's what a lot of this unapologetically bold is about, is that we're human at home versus work versus play. We're human everywhere. And how can we be at our top performance and be at our best selves throughout this time? So for people that do not know who you are, um, can you just introduce yourself a little bit and just tell them a little bit about you? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep this short and simple. Um, so I, I'm a mental conditioning coach. I'm a mental performance coordinator with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, my quick background, I played college baseball at Davidson in North Carolina. I was fortunate enough to get drafted. I played professional baseball for just a hot moment with the Tampa Bay Rays and Chicago White Sox. And then I went on to get my master's in sports psychology and motor learning at the University of Tennessee and was even more fortunate to then get my doctorate there as well. Um, so very fortunate in a lot of realms to be able to integrate psychology with motor learning. So what is the psychology of learning and what is the psychology of performance excellence is really kind of where I try to blend uh, both of those fields together. And I've been working with the Pittsburgh Pirates since 2018. And 2020 was a really weird year for baseball as it was for all sports. But due to 2020, I've been able to make some wonderful connections with people like yourself. And it's just helped me grow and challenge my own way of thinking. Thank you so much for that. And the thing that I think is really unique about you is that it's the motor with the psychology aspect that is not seen a lot. And it's the part that it's bringing the full human together. And I think that really flows into what you're not sorry for. So if you don't mind, the show is called Unapologetically Bold. What are you no longer apologizing for? Um, I'm no longer apologizing for allowing, and talking about baseball here in athletics, um, allowing coaches to hear the player out, to mm -hmm. provide choice and autonomy to the player, and letting the coach know that that's okay, that it's okay for the player to have a voice, to have autonomy, and for the coach to facilitate that autonomy. For the longest time in sport, it's been, this is the way we've always done things, and I'm the coach, and you're going to listen to me, and you're not going to question the process. And that really takes away the human element in sport and in any other aspect of life. And for a long time, I would always kind of tiptoe around that issue because it's very difficult to tell a coach that, hey, we need you to listen to the player. The player needs to have input in what they do. It does not need to be entirely dictated. And 
Emily, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we can get into self-determination theory at some point, but we know that one of the three pillars of motivation is autonomy and choice. And I think in sport, and I'm sure in other aspects of life, we just tend not to allow for that. We're really bad as human beings about providing choice to others. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, I am, I'm unapologetic about asking the coach to provide choice to the athlete and letting the athlete know that it's okay to have a voice as well. Yes, and I think that's so important because, again, I think that's the word. Self-determination, we both said Desi and Ryan, like, it was an instant heart connection between us. And we're like, oh. <laughs> yep. um, But the thing is, is a lot of the work that I've done has been around adding choice. And what I say, just especially in America, when everything has a choice, but then in leadership roles, we are told what to do. We are micromanaged. We are how much it does the reverse reaction of what we actually want. And so I think that's what I'd love to dive into by promoting and and giving this choice and giving the player the ability to be that self-manager, that self-coach. One, it takes off the leader and (laughs) it takes off that stress a lot. But then two, going into how that choice actually gives for more positive results from the person. Yeah. And th- that's the thing with choice. And like you said, in America, there's there's always been this top down hierarchy in, in whatever aspect it is, whether it's sport, in the corporate world, in an educational system. And so we talk about choice, but I don't really think we understand what that means. And because I think in our society, it's been taken away from us for so long that choice is like a muscle. And if we mm-hmm. don't use it, it can atrophy. And so when we talk to coaches or leaders and we say it's and it can be hypocritical to say, hey, you're going to give them choice. I'm going to tell you what to do. Give them choice. But it's working with them and saying, yes, at first you should anybody shouldn't just say, hey, here it is. Tell me what you want, because that would be like somebody that is squatting for the first time and putting on 400 pounds on the bar. So to start off giving small choices or just two or three good choices. And I'm going to stick with baseball. It's my default. Um, if I want to work with a hitter. And I really want them to work on maybe something on their backside. I can say, hey, here's a choice of three drills, drill X, Y or Z. Which one would you like to do? So now as the coach, I understand that this is what they need to work on. But I've allowed them to start to flex that muscle of choice. So they start to feel what that's like to even make a choice. And then you just start building from there. But it certainly doesn't just start off with here it is. Go for it. We have to help the athlete or the individual become comfortable with choice because just like anything, if we haven't had it before, it can be very uncomfortable to have. And we need to kind of have this slow drip with them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important because it brings into the humanity aspect of it all is we both have cows or deal with cows. And what I say is a lot of times that we do things where we just like put them through the chute, we brought and poke them and then we send them through and we Mm -hmm. expect that result, but they're humans. Yes. you can't put them through these different trainings and expect them a certain outcome. You can without some resentment if you do not give choice. So I'd love to flow on that aspect of it on individuals and seeing them as humans because we are so unique that we're the only creatures on this planet that can be creative, innovative, and do and create amazing things together. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think we do just tend to think, sometimes we think of human beings in our system, in our tutelage as products. We need them to perform at a certain, in a certain way, but we think that's our way. 
but it could also be their way. And I think you brought up a really great point about building resentment. Um, there, there's a wonderful educational psychologist named Lorraine Davies in Australia, and she talks about when you control, 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 you will get compliance. The individual will comply, 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 but eventually they will rebel. Mm-hmm. And that's when we see the issues come up. And so allowing for this choice, there is no compliance. There's acceptance and there's choice within that. And I, I think with the human element, particularly in worlds of sport and corporate in, in the corporate world where the outcome is ultimately the dollar, we think that learning and progress has to be this linear pathway. That if they're not better today than they were yesterday, if they're worse than they were yesterday, then something's not happening properly. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that that's humanity. Humanity is messy. Growth is messy. Choice is messy. And so I think when we start to understand, we use the linear pedagogy, linear learning, that works great for machines. It doesn't work well for humans. Nonlinear pedagogy is how we learn. We take one step forward, three steps to the right, four steps back. And when we grant choice, that nonlinearity starts to become more accepting. We're okay with it versus when we try to control it, we want that linear progression and we're just never going to see that because as human beings, that's not how we learn. That's not how we function. Mm-hmm. And it's so important too. again, on the aspect of that learning and the nonlinear learning is mm-hmm. what works for one person right. doesn't work for another. And it's this what I found and I think it's by default. You can give them choices, but they still want a rule book. They still want a checkbox. They still want a list. Mm-hmm. And what I tell them is you have to learn what works for you, when and where. Because yep. for me, like I talk a lot with, uh, we have a mutual friend, Rucker. And yep. talking in on some of the stuff with him, it's breathing. Breathing will work in some areas, but it may not work with some others. It's what to do, when and where. But having the individual understand and learn about themselves. So to take that to another level, how important is this if you want people to be promoted to like a head coach or or just them taking that self-management model, mm-hmm. how important it is for them to have self-awareness? Uh, I think it's everything. Um, I know a lot of the literature out there and the research is showing that it's not necessarily IQ that's the predictor for success, it's EQ, it's your emotional intelligence, so it's self-awareness. Um, so I believe that as we start to become more accustomed to this way of thinking, of looking at people, and when I talk about the constraints model of person task setting, I think we get really caught up in the task and the setting. What are they supposed to do and where are they doing it? And we forget the person, the organism is part of that. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about promoting somebody to a head coach, um, I think we're going to see a new generation of coaches and leaders that are very emotionally aware and they're intelligent enough to understand that, you know what, it's okay if I'm vulnerable and those make the best kind of leaders. And if I'm vulnerable, it means I'm giving choice because Mm -hmm. I don't have to have all the answers. Um, Am I getting at your question at all about if somebody were to be promoted to head coach, like as a player, it's if you want to, if we, anybody wants to be a leader, we need to be okay of accepting a vulnerability of being wrong. And being a leader does not mean you have all the answers Mm -hmm. very often. That's never the case. A good question is so much better than a smart answer. Ah, I love that. And I think it's so important, too, when it comes to just dynamics. And I'm thinking of my my team, my personal team. I don't want to be the head coach on everything. Right. I'm not a genius in everything. It's, it's exhausting. It is. It is so exhausting. And the thing is, is the times whenever I have brought people together and I was talking earlier with a group of people. 
how my goal is to break down the silos of people that deal with humans. So like HR, safety, wellness, anybody that comes in those performance process improvement, all those things, because everybody has their sphere of genius or their zone of genius. But it seems like we have to silo ourselves. In essence, that's what a lot of teams I've even seen, even in the sports realm, do is that hierarchy. And yes. you don't disrespect the hierarchy. But what if that one person has that amazing idea that you didn't think of, and that always happens for me, and it just makes it better? And it's right. that cliche, it's better together. So I'd love to learn and to hear more of your aspects on team dynamics with self management. Yeah, that, that's such a great point to make because I, I think that when we talk about the hierarchy and when you even mention that people are uncomfortable when the hierarchy crumbles and people are uncomfortable with choice, well, I, I guess my question is, are you uncomfortable with it or are you just so used to it that you don't like what's uncomfortable because this new dynamical process is so new and uncomfortable to you because you've never had it before? Um, so I, I think what you're describing as well with this idea of this integration, and, and I've become fascinated with dynamical systems, which came from physics, now in motor learning, but just when you think about how processes evolve, um, it, there isn't these one schema. There's not one schema here, one schema here. It's a constant evolving and adaptive process. And I think like what you just described, where you have somebody that brings in a new idea, you really help your company, your team stay out of cognitive entrenchment. This idea of I'm going to be really good. I'm going to know one thing a mile deep. Well, that that's fine. That's great to have that expertise. But when you allow these new ideas to come in, and we know about the perils of groupthink, obviously. But I think the bigger deal is when you bring in people from different philosophies and different backgrounds, that cognitive diversity, experiential diversity, um, demographic diversity. Now, we as individuals are working to stay out of that trench because we're hearing different things that maybe conflict with our way of thinking either about the process or maybe in how we view life in general. And that's going to help us be more adaptable and flexible with this bottom-up dynamical process that keeps us out of that cognitive trench versus this top-down process that's just pushing us a mile deep. Yes, and it's so important on that aspect. And you're the first one that really brought the words cognitive entrenchment for me. $15 words are fun. I know, right? Um, but all that is, is it really made me think, especially with this political season that's been through or some of my uh, faith-based beliefs and stuff, mm -hmm. and diving down even deeper into some of my thoughts. Why do I think the way that I do? And is it true? And the things that are true, true that I know, those are value-based for me. Mm -hmm. And, and coming in and what I found is surrounding myself, not with exactly like-minded, but value, like like-hearted people. Oh, whenever, whenever you have a mission together. And I think that's what I love about sports. And I love because y'all have a mission. Like nobody, nobody on your team wants to lose <laughs> that I know of. Right. So it's like you all have a mission, but it sometimes seems in leadership or in some of the other environments that I'm in that. Sometimes you want this silo to lose because it makes you look like you're winning. Right. And so I'd love just to hear and go into that just a minute about whenever you have the same, the heart yeah. coming from heart. I, I love that. And I, I've never heard that phrase. I, you always hear like-minded, but I love like-hearted because I do think when we hear like-minded, we tend to think people that think just like us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where that cognitive entrenchment happens. And then, you know, dissent is invaluable to success. We need people to challenge us. We need challenge in the room. Um, 
I know that there's this, uh, it's called the 10th man. I think it started in the Israeli army, but this, and it, it has its issues, but the, the core of it was really interesting. It's this idea of if the military wanted to go with strategy X and nine people in the room thought strategy X was a good idea, it was the job of the 10th person to go with strategy Y, to provide dissent, to create not an argument, but a discussion so we can stay away from that. And I think when that happens, then it stops being this, what well, was my idea versus your idea. There's always dissent. There's always challenge. So now there's collaboration versus confrontation. Hmm. Um, and, and just that idea of being okay, being wrong, because if we're all pulling together, then there's no right or wrong. There's an efficiency sake. And just the beauty of being wrong is that the moment we say we're wrong, we become right. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's something that we miss a lot is, oh, well, I've been wrong for 15 years. You're not wrong anymore. You just didn't get it. Right. From this point on, you are no longer wrong. And I think it's so important, too, that the ego aspect that comes into it. And I was me and the kids, we were talking about something the other day. And my son loves the words Latin. He loves Greek and stuff. And I looked up what ego actually meant. And in Latin, it means it's itself. It's I. And basically what the theory is behind, if you have a lot of eyes in your statements, you have a lot of ego uh, talk to it. But it's going from that, it's about me to we aspect. Mm -hmm. And in an aspect that, again, it's like hearted and it avoids that cognitive entrenchment like you talked whenever we're like minded. Mm -hmm. And so to go from there to then go into a mission, to go into a battle, right? you can't. It's that cliche. There's no I in team, you know. But there is ourselves in our self care. Mm -hmm. So I would love to flow on that. On that, yes, we're saying self management yeah. and being promoted to the head coach. But what it is is that we all have our roles and our responsibilities for the sphere that we can care for. Correct. And what we're our expectations are. So mm -hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. On how you can invite people to possibly look at maybe a self-management model that, yes, it may seem I-oriented, ego-oriented, but it's actually not. It's actually selfless instead of selfish. Right. So that idea of self-management, of bringing awareness to me and I and how I interact in this sphere. Yes. Um, yes. I, and I think that's a short-term versus long-term is that, is it truly selfish is the ego oriented if the end goal is for you to be able to look out for somebody else that idea of we can't give away what we don't possess so if i don't possess empathy if i haven't been empathic toward myself if i haven't been patient and compassionate toward myself it's very difficult for me to then give that patience to somebody else be that a soldier underneath us a ball player that we're coaching or a leader or somebody that's underneath us in a leadership role um, so self-management is crucial for that because I, I know it's a cliche statement, but you have to take care of you before you can take care of somebody else. And so, yes, that idea of taking care of yourself is not a bad thing. I mean, <laughs> we're the only body that we have. And so to be able to have that self-management leads to greater self-regulation, I think mm -hmm. then leads to greater vulnerability. Um, because I think we get caught up in this idea of, oh, be vulnerable, be vulnerable. And I know you and I are both fans of Simon Sinek. And he says, being vulnerable doesn't mean we're walking around crying all day. We can be vulnerable and aware of our emotions and self-manage and self-regulate and still be an awesome human being and still compete at a high level. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think it's that idea of they're not mutually exclusive ideas. Self-management, self-care, self-compassion, self-regulation is not mutually exclusive from being a great leader and being a, an absolute dominant competitor. 
It's so true. And I love that you brought up self-regulation. So for the audience that does not know what that is, could you explain it a little bit more? And then we're going to nerd out about it. <laughs> yeah. So there, um, there are kind of two, at least in my mind, there are two schools of thought with it. We can think of self-regulation and self-control from a motor learning standpoint, which I can briefly hit on here in just a moment and take about 15 seconds. But the self-regulation aspect of can we bring mindfulness to the present moment? What are the emotions that we're feeling right now? And the interesting thing that we found with self-regulation is when we just admit the emotion that we're feeling, even just internally to ourselves, heart rate slows down, your veins dilate, um, blood is you know pumped better, our, our mind is clear versus when we try to say, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling really angry right now. No, 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 you're not feeling angry. Like you're fine, you're good, everything's good. That just adds more sediment to the rock, to the rock bed. And so that idea of understanding where our emotional state is helps with that self-regulation. And then on top of that, with just the learning aspect, we know that when we allow people choice, like we were talking about earlier, not only do they get better, and not only are they more motivated, their memory is better. Their recall is better. We've done some studies in our lab at Tennessee where we bring people back the next day that got to self-regulate how they practice. They remembered more critical details about the task we were having them learn than individuals that had everything externally imposed on them. So this idea of self-regulation is not only something we can give ourselves, but it's something we can give others too. Mm -hmm. And it's so important too. It's something that I've been kind of a proponent on lately is find your home state before home play. And, and the theory that. behind that is that you self-regulate homeostasis. You're putting your body where it likes its best. It, it mm -hmm. likes it at its calm. And so whenever you go up to bat, even if it's in work, life or play, that you are ready and you're aware because you're owning your environment so that you can be more aware of what's coming at you. Yes. Yes, and so, absolutely. And so with that, I just what are some tips that you have for people to self-regulate and to find ways that they can actually possibly add it into their life or if they're wanting to get promoted to being a, the head coach life. Right. Um, I think I, I would start off with that, you know, the ask why. Um, why do you in the general, you want to self-regulate and what is the ultimate outcome of this self-regulation? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with self-regulation for the sense of self-regulation, but our focus follows our goals, not the other way around. Our goals don't follow our focus. So if I have a desire to self-regulate, because I want to be a better partner, I want to be a better, you know, sister, brother, teammate, I want to be a better coach, then that provides that goal where now the focus of the self-regulation can go there. So asking why do we even want to self-regulate in the first place? And I think the second thing is recognizing that it is difficult. It is very hard to self-regulate. So calling out the elephant in the room, saying that just like the nonlinear pedagogy, I'm making the choice to self-regulate on Tuesday. Well, something's going to happen on Wednesday where I'm going to get upset, mad, and I'm not going to realize that I'm even upset or mad until Saturday. And that's mm -hmm. okay. And so I think the whole process of self-regulation starts with empathy for ourselves, And not only that, why do we want to self-regulate? Because to say, I want to be a better person, well, that's wonderful. But the more specific that goal can be, why do I want to be a better person? Well, for my children, well, for my partner, well, for my teammates, and continue to peel back that onion layer. And Emily, I love the phrase you use about have the what is it, the smallest onion possible to peel back yeah. the layer? Yeah, so continue to ask why and empathy for the non-linear process of learning that we as humans all have. And it's so important too, because life will throw things at us. Yes. Like 
you will not meet, and I've said this probably a million times on these shows, is that you, if you meet somebody that says that they don't have problems, they have a big problem. Right. And it's life throws at us so many unknowns and, and so many variables, and it's a muscle. It is whenever we work on this self-regulation, it actually starts, and you know some of the science behind it, but we get quicker and quicker and quicker at recall to know, hey, I actually was owned on Monday uh-huh. instead of a four or five day window. Now it's okay, a two day window Two, it's a day window. And you can get it quicker because you can start understanding in your body where things happen, or you might be understanding in your mind where that thought starts that leads to thoughts lead your feeling, actions, behavior, and, and the process that goes with it. So it's Absolutely. very Yeah, it is. And, and that idea of, you know, the more that we self-regulate, that's a form of choice. Mm-hmm. And when we take choice with the brain behind it, just real quick, the, the reward processing center in our brain, the striatum, when we make a choice, whether that's something somebody else gives us or a choice we make, now, depending on how you perceive that choice, but dopamine gets released by the striatum, which feels awesome because it's a reward mm-hmm. processing center. So, yeah, there's just so much good that comes with choice and self-regulation, whether giving it to ourselves or giving it to others. And also, I talked with somebody earlier today, and we were we were speaking about how reward and feeling affirmed in your work is actually what it people want the most. That's the biggest benefit that they want. They want to feel appreciated. And that does come from those dopamine releases and along, I call it the cheerleader of the body. It's our rah-rah gaze along with our oxytocin, the loving grandmother. That is that connection, that bonding that comes with it. These things are important. And what I love too is that a lot of people have made this, in my opinion, in my opinion, a lot of people have made this stuff fluffy. I love that you give the science that goes behind it too, that makes it more hardcore and more real that people can understand that this is how we are designed. It's not people been saying these cliche things for years and not addressing how things can suck. Mm-hmm. That might be another part of it. But all that to say is that there is science behind it. We're seeing more about the importance of bringing humanity to the forefront. And so I am so grateful for you, Andy. And I have a last question. It's a two-part last question. First one is people are apologizing for promoting the athlete or the um, person that wants to be a leader to that head coach or or promoting them up for that self-management side, what would you tell them? If they were apologizing for promoting somebody to a leadership position, um, I I guess my first question would be, are you apologizing to yourself or are you apologizing to the person you're promoting? And Mm -hmm. At what is making you say, I'm sorry, are you, I'm sorry, are you apologetic because you feel like your choice, your promotion or your promotion of this person will not be met properly? Or do you feel like this is something that you're doubting within yourself? Mm-hmm. And I think if it's, if it's the former, if it's something that you feel that it may not go over well, then that may be something that we need to start to work through that vulnerability. If it's the latter, then that's something that maybe we need to internalize. Okay, what is giving us this doubt? Um, but there is nothing wrong with ever promoting somebody else when you feel it in your gut that it's right, that heuristic of, I know this is right. This is a, this athlete needs to either be playing more or needs to be promoted to a leadership position. This employee has the capability to do this. And you know what? We need to give them the chance because they've earned that opportunity to have that choice. Mm-hmm. And that's so important because if you don't, you forego their learning experience. 
Right. And if we're afraid that they're going to crash when we believe that when we put them in there, well, they're going to stumble. Of course they are. Of course they are. That goes back to the nonlinear learning. If they feel, we feel they aren't ready because they don't have enough experience, well, then when are they going to get the experience? Amen to that one. I love it so much. And so I guess my last part is anybody wants to find you or con uh, contact you, how can they they reach out? Yeah, I, I, for a lot of some pros and cons to being a millennial with no social media. So uh, sorry about that. But um, I, I'm always around my email and I love talking coaching. And when I say coach, coaching is not just relegated to sport. Um, so I will finish with this and then I'll provide my email address. But a coach, you know, a stage coach was meant to take the person where they wanted to go. That's where the coaching word comes from. And so it's not just sport. It's where does this person want to go? And not where do I think they need to go? How can I get them where they want to go? If I hopped in a stagecoach in 1825 and said, take me two miles down the road and you took me in the opposite direction, well, you're a really bad stagecoach driver. It's about where they want to go. Um, so coaching and anything with leadership is what gets me up in the day. But I'm um, andy.bass at pirates.com. That's A-N-D-Y dot B-A-S-S at pirates.com. Um, like I said, always down to have conversations about this because, and I'm always happy to have challenging conversations if maybe there was something that I had brought up in this podcast that one of your listeners necessarily disagrees with would love to have that conversation. That's how I get better. And he's not lying. Like this is really how Andy is. And I love it. Um, we nerd out about things. Like I said, if you, if you need somebody that just gets your nerdy heart happy, Andy, is an amazing person. And I am so grateful for you. Thank you for coming on today and just being you being awesome. And for all the listeners that tuned in, we appreciate you. Have an amazing and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.